0: 21, Energy Cultures, the Axioms of an Energy Transition. Okay, welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. And this week, we have me as a guest. And this is something new that we're going to try out, is I'm going to talk. And I think one of the Best things about this is maybe it gives us, you, and uh, me a bit of one-on-one time. So that's that's kind of nice. And I get to express some of my ideas that I do have. And the topic that we're going to talk about today is energy cultures. Now, this is my book that came out in November 2020. And it took quite a number of years to develop the concept and the ideas that, that really support it. And I'm just gonna spend a maybe let's say aim for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, to go through a presentation I've put together and to discuss what are energy cultures. And I think this will help uh, the listener going forward in understanding what uh, I'm talking about with some of the guests. And I'm also recording this on Zoom. So we're going to have a video on this and you can see the slides there as well. Now, uh, energy cultures, what are they? What we're going to do today is go over what are energy cultures, I provide you with a definition. And for to keep a lot of things simple, we have these axioms of energy cultures, three of them to explain what are energy cultures. Okay, so they bring in about the ideas of space, scale and transformation. It's a good way to organize it, I believe. And then I provide you uh, provide you with examples of energy culture at the same time. And what we have first are, what are energy cultures? This is a great question. And uh, I'm just going to give you the boring academic definition of what energy cultures are. And I'm going to read it to you. Okay, so hang on here. Energy cultures are the social and the physical interactions forming relations in the energy system, extending from resource extraction through technologies of conversion combustion and networks providing for society's material and physical well-being it's a action packed definition there a lot of things to deconstruct right uh to take apart it's supposed to be an all-encompassing definition of what the energy system is and when i mean uh, uh, what i mean about that is resource extraction right from when coal or iron ore or whatever is taken out of the ground or even captured sun wind right whatever like a natural kind of input is into creating our output of um uh output of like energy right that powers things or maybe heats things or keeps our lights on our energy services at the very end of the of the chain okay And there's usually a diagram of the energy system from inputs like these natural resources to the how we actually use them like motion in cars or heat or light. Right. These are the energy services or even a hot meal would be the end point. Right. Or hot tummy. Right. Uh, Hot chocolate. One of my favorite drinks. So, so that is, uh, in a roundabout way, a, a definition of that, right? And it's really the, the social, the physical interactions that, that go into that, how politics are played out, the economy. So there's all these number of things that are happening within and around the energy system that we may not consider as part of the energy system but which definitely have a have a impact on it so we can think about just maybe tax um tax laws and how they affect energy companies how they encourage or discourage investment into certain technologies um and networks for example right how are are electrical networks constructed oil networks are constructed where do they, the these flows come from The the through the networks, right? Oil uh, pipelines, gas pipelines, we all know about the geopolitics of it all, right? So how does this impact everything here? So that's kind of what I'm I'm bringing out. And culture, um, if I can uh, kind of describe it, I, I can't define, as I outline in the book, we can't define what a culture is, but we can say what it is when we see it, basically. And it's this expression, uh, a social expression of these interactions, okay? Uh, and these physical expressions of interaction. So maybe, I don't know, uh, the colors and the designs and women's dress, for example, right? Can be expression of a certain cultural group, right? Kind of in a traditional sense. Uh, but they can also be like the, the oil pipelines running across the landscape, right? That means we as a society use oil, right? And even the building of roads, right how how are we powering the cars all these things are expressions of the energy system which then kind of has this intangible connection with with culture and and social norms so there's a lot of areas that we won't cover today but that's kind of where we're going to begin today is is this idea and i think what's really important though is talking about the basis of the society and the state okay um and this is one key point I have at the beginning of the book and that people and I bring in John Locke here people are according to John Locke born with a sense of equality and freedom and the state is foremost an articulation of these human values or human rights and I bring this into this idea of a social contract okay so so we often think of the state and politicians who kind of give direction to the state and there's the deep state Kind of like Donald Trump things, right? But anyways, right? There's still, we have to remember the basis of the state as a social contract, okay? And and this what how this is defined is the authority of the state and society's expectations rests on the transfer of freedom to the state and in turn the provision of equality and freedom. And this is really important, right? So essentially people were born, according to John Locke, with this sense of equality and freedom, right? So we're kind of born into nature and, and, and humans interact with each other, right? But, but we're born free, right? And so the state should serve us, not us serving the state. And that's the biggest thing, kind of like the deepest, uh, most profound, I think, uh, underlining concept I have in this energy cultures is, is that the state should be serving us. The state should serve society. Our energy system should serve people. Not us serving the energy system. or us the people serving the oil corporations or the electricity corporations or or anything? Right. So we as a people, right, should be free, and we are choose uh, able to choose also uh, what types of energy uh, resources we want to use, and we can do that collectively, right, through democracy, or we can do that at a very individual level, like installing a solar. Uh, Power system for your for your home, right? But you got to remember a lot of people can't even afford to to make these uh, personal choices so collectively we have to take action and the state is meant to Represent our interests. This is why there's a social contract. Okay, and what I mean by that um, Here's a good example. Take a drink of my coffee just a sec is that uh, when we look at the inability of people to uh, heat their homes or keep them warm, we definitely see uh, differences in different countries. For example, here we have Lithuania, Poland, hun- Hungary, Denmark, Germany, and the EU twenty-eight. I uh, just my main point here is in different countries, um, we can definitely see that there's a different ability between households to keep their homes warm, and and this is uh, really reflective, I think, of of the priority that that say governments have towards their people, and, and how they uh, support heating in the homes, and there's a whole great literature about um, uh, the difficulty of keeping homes warm, especially for, for poor people, and the, and the you know individual impact that has on people, how you feel cold in your home all winter long, can really affect both your physical state and your mental state, and it's really unhealthy. So if there's a government that actually has a good, um, for example, energy efficiency policy for, for buildings, it really helps people maybe pay their bills or has a good program in place, then that actually really goes to helping people, right? Rather than uh, we're going to turn off all your electricity, we're going to turn off your gas so you have no heat. Uh, and, and, you know, that's not serving the people. It's not finding a, a way forward to, to help people. And that now I want to turn to the axioms of energy cultures, right? So we don't have a definition so much of, a, of what energy culture is uh but but this kind of description of what energy cultures are, okay. And we came up with three axioms here. But axioms first are kind of self-evident truths, okay? So they can be tested using the methodology of science. This kind of is from Heinberg. Yes, they can be used by but I like to express it more as these appear to be facts, like somewhat obje- um, objective facts right that that can't be contested too much okay and they're minimal right they're really simple to understand or or maybe mine are not the most simplest ones but academically uh in the book at least they try to be simple And at the same time, the axiom must be sufficient, leaving no glaring loopholes, okay? And this basically means, like, there can't be too many exceptions to this general rule that that's created. And lay persons can understand, right? So average person should be able to understand an axiom. And this is why I use the axioms in the book, because it helped organize what I'm actually trying to say, but in a very clear way, okay? So... Uh, first space space is really important okay so I have a geography background and space scale all come into play and how we organize the energy system and I think this is why there's many geographers uh, discussing energy and researching in energy because it's such an active area where spatial relations scalar relations can come into play and energy cultures in this sense are a spatial expression Of the social Malau is how I kind of bring it about like how society interacts this whole blah, right? How societies formed and the tensions and there's all these things going on uh, around energy systems and perceived spatial expressions are perceived through the physical expressions of artifacts, imaginaries and inequality. Of material and environmental differences. Okay, so artifacts—what is that? That stuff on the landscape. Those are the pipelines. Those are the nuclear power plants. Those are the solar panels. Things that we see, right? Buildings can be artifacts. In fact, imaginaries. It's how we 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 kind of organize it. I would say intellectually, right? How we justify things. How we think we want the the future to be, right? Where are we going? Um, both aspirational but also somewhat practical right it gives us interpretation of of reality and what we actually mean um by the everyday and why why we're doing things okay and what are we going towards okay so this is really important and i bring in about inequality of material and environmental differences so we definitely see uh differences between countries right uh both uh, how the environment is treated, but also how people live. So I was just in, in, a, in the United States, and now coming back to Hungary, uh, there's definite, you know, material differences in how people live here, as in United States, and just the amount of, huge amount of, I would say, oil consumption, the huge cars in America, uh, compared to, to Europe, anywhere in Europe, really, like, massive, just... Everyone has like this massive semi truck they drive in America, and then <laughs> okay. Uh, and I have this really nice photo of uh, this is from Gabrielle Amza. I just came across it because I'm really interested in the Joux Valley. Um, one of my uh, PhD students, she's been doing work there the past couple of years, and and here here's a picture because we really can see it's a good good example of the spatial relations, what the landscape that an energy system, a failing energy system, or if part of the failing energy system can have, right? This is a former coal mining region. So you don't even have to see the picture. You can just imagine, right? How people live in in former um, community in communities where they used to do coal mining, right? So there's a this, this de- deterioration in the infrastructure, right? It's all rusting buildings are empty, everything's falling apart. Right. So, so, but it's still an expression of their energy culture, right? It demonstrates that the culture and even the society has moved on to other, other types of energy resources to power, to meet their power needs. And here, um, it's still an expression though, right? It's an expression of deterioration of shifts of change. And I think this is where uh, we get into like just energy transitions and why they're so important to understand how the energy system changes over time. Right. It's not just technology innovation and we have new technologies, but it's very much these social factors. And I think this is where the EU and now even the Biden administration really understands the importance of the social side of energy transitions it's not just technology and resources and and rare earth minerals and building battery factories these types of things right but it's actually how do you take care of the people most affected by this transition who are no longer their communities are no longer needed these jobs are no longer needed so how do you how do you you know preserve their identity how do you preserve i would say their dignity right and their right to have a job basically and then um, I have just this, this other picture that really expressed the, the spatial expression of, of different types of energy cultures or a energy cultures. This is kind of a resource, uh, energy resource map from Poland I was given when I went there uh, to Gdansk and the Gdansk region uh, to do interviews. And I was given these maps and they're, they're fantastic maps actually. So they just kind of show like former coal regions, areas where nuclear power should be, should be built up and, and other types of natural resources or um, energy technologies and power plants. Um, and it, it's really a great way to understand how a country is organized, I would say administratively, into energy regions and administrative regions and how the natural resources and the technologies, the networks, um, are are built up and seen from the state, right? So we, we can see, yeah, the f- um, buildings falling apart in former coal regions, right? But from a state point of view, these are there's really you know key regulations that are being applied to how do you extract oil and gas in certain areas. You know which concessions are given over which plots of land so all these things have this huge administrative uh, apparatus behind them and having this perspective of how the state perceives the energy system is really important as well okay and then the next point here is scales so energy cultures play out at different scales and are both socially and economically transformative and reliant on power relations between scales. So let me break that down a little bit more, um, and and maybe the best way to express this is the impact of geopolitics on of the energy system. Okay, um, we can understand a, a country, for example, as I outline in the book, uh, Hungary being reliant on Russian gas. Okay. And, and Hungary's decision, especially the Orban regimes, the Orban <laughs> government's decision not to actually invest in energy efficiency for homes, not to help out the average person in renovating their homes. I mean, there's no there's kind of a policy we could liberally say, but there's no uh, you know, specific scheme in place to really actually help Hungarians. Um, renovate their homes and make them super energy efficient, or or get away from Russian gas, right? So it's this explicit explicit policy, to or an implicit policy to rely on Russian gas, and and this really has a um, a bad um, effect for homeowners because they they are tied to the price of gas with Russia, and of course this affects the power relations between the Russian government and between the Hungarian government. We can say, well, it's Gazprom, right? You know, or these, these private entities at play. But nonetheless, it still creates um, the, the impact on a homeowner, on the impact on somebody's grandmother, basically, on whether they can afford their gas, or whether they have to turn to using firewood, or using uh, brown coal, which is really bad, you know, for, for pollution. Uh, use that, right? And so this affects the air quality in, in a village. And, um, as often happens in the wintertime, you can go to villages in, in Hungary and you just feel right on your lungs that the coal, uh, I don't know, in your lungs or, or the wood burning, uh, burning in the village and being trapped in like a valley. And, um, you know, all that they could sure shift it to, 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 to gas, but gas is expensive. Or what about hot water heating or heat pumps, these types of things. And so the government's purposely doesn't invest in these things or help the society make this transition because they're t- caught out basically with these larger power relations and needing to maintain a friendly relationship with, with Russia. And um, then we can also look at scales as means of decline, right? Rise and decline, basically. And here I'm showing a, a graph of the rise of coal in the United Kingdom, France, Germany, Poland, how it, how it went, went up over the years since 1815, so mid to late 1800s in these different countries, and then the dramatic decline starting around 1965, depending on the country, right? Each country tries to preserve its, its industry and its coal, but when you look across, this is such a powerful uh, graph, then you really start to see that uh, the inevitable like disappearance of coal from the power sector, And and really understanding that this is happening was interesting uh, being in the United States. People complain about three dollar a gallon gas and it's because of Biden. And but there's this also general sense of, you know, oil is no longer the future for transportation. Right. We'll always have oil, I think, to produce um, plastics, these types of things. Right. There's benefits from that. But for transportation, uh, maybe the days are, are numbered. Uh, who knows on the, the time scale for that, but there's a definite push to move away. And we can see this in coal as well, who, that that coal really is being phased out. So um, one, one, uh, the third axiom, so I haven't placed these too much in, in terms of axioms, but the third part. So the first one, let me recap. The axiom is about space, right, spatial relations. The other one's about scales, power relationships between these scales can create culture, And then the uh, third area is transformative. This is what I call it. Energy cultures are relationally transformative in energy systems, including mechanical and thermal, social, political, and economic. Okay. So energy cultures change things, right? Uh, You can have that in in the form of just the conversion from, from oil to power in your engine, for example, right? Or to heat from, from g- gas, the gases form, right to through the thermal heat being given off basically, right? Social, political, economic, right? All these things change things. Uh, there's no doubt about say, oil in, in, in some African countries, right? and that changing how the politics are played out, right? Or the economics, uh, sending, just spending money on oil, right? Where does that money go? It goes out of a country usually, right? To some Middle Eastern country instead. So, So the energy cultures and how we structure our societies, how we use our infrastructure, we encourage car use or do we encourage gas use? So all these things and how we encourage the use of, encourage or I should say discourage the use of certain types of, Energy technologies, energy resources, all impact, like absolutely, the social, political, and economic spheres of our lives, okay? So it's really important to, I mean, there's nothing more um, apparent in that fact than we think about the Gulf Wars, basically, and how the United States got just sucked into wars and everything in, in the Middle East there recently. All right, anyways, I'll try not to go off on, on a rant but transformative i just outlined in the in the in the book is that uh, here i am showing for those that are listening this is actually a picture of a um, a, um regasification ship uh, in in Klaipeda harbor in Lithuania and in the book i outline i provide the story about how the country switched away they essentially turned off their gas Pipeline to Russia and went all LNG, right? Or almost right. They they were basically able to turn to the world LNG market by building a regasification ship that can that receives LNG shipments, and they could balance and have a lower price gas compared to just the monopoly gas coming from from Russia. Okay, so so by actually changing your infrastructure and changing where it, you could say it's directed at right can fundamentally change how, how uh, a country receives certain resources and the political and the economic dynamics within that country, right? So Lithuania, we could say, is independent from, from Russian gas and can out, is outward-looking and then creating energy relationships with other countries that are exporting uh, LNG, for example, both good and bad so uh just to conclude then energy cultures uh it's really about exploring transformations okay space is really important looking at the spatial expressions of society the physical expressions of artifacts how we perceive the future uh both on the landscape and how we build it too right so my last interview with Amelia mutter about um Buses uh, in, in Sweden, right? Those shifting towards electric buses are still using biogas, for example. Uh, all these things kind of shape how um, communities and countries choose their technologies, choose their resources for the future. Scales, super important. So the third point was scale, or the second point was scales. And all these play out different relations, right? Power relations, I think are really important when we talk about scale, because uh, you have the levels, right? In a scale the local, national, international type of thing, but there's always these power relations going on between there. And that I think is quite exciting. And of course, uh, energy cultures are transformative, right? The third axiom, relationally transformative, they change everything, right? The social, political, economic, Thermal, mechanical, there's always change going on, and it's always adjusting over time. So with that, uh, I'm just going to conclude uh, the podcast for this week. And there's a little outline there. So um, if you get a chance, if you can, get your library to uh, order my book, uh, or I would be happy if you ordered it as well. Oh, that's my timer. It says that I'm up. Uh, So, uh, with that, thank you for listening to this episode or watching this episode, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the My Energy 2050 podcast. Please follow the My Energy 2050 podcast on iTunes or Stitcher so that you can automatically get updated with each new episode. If you like this episode and feel others can benefit from the information, please share it on social media. You can contact me to provide feedback or suggestions on Twitter at MyEnergy2050 or on LinkedIn.